Well, good morning, church. How are we feeling this morning? Incredible. I know what you're thinking, and no, Pastor Mac did not get 30 years younger. Though I do look a lot like him, I am slightly taller. Make sure you remind him of that next time you see him. But no, I am Joe Richard, uh, Pastor Mac's son, and I just want to start by saying thank you. Thank you for being the church that you are, and the church that has made an impact in not only my life, my sister's life, our parents' lives, and the lives of our family, but in the life of this community for the last 25 years. I've had the privilege of being a part of Lake Hills Church from the very beginning, September 7th, 1997. And then with a couple hiatuses there in the middle for college and then a West Coast adventure. And I've gotta say, out of everywhere I've been, this is home. This is home. And it's because of the people and it's because of who you are, not only as a church, but as individuals. So thank you so much, and I'm excited to be with you this morning. But first, would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much, God, for the privilege and opportunity that we have to gather in your name. God, I pray that for the next few minutes you speak through me. God, you speak in spite of me and unveil what you want known. Show us just a little bit more of your character. Show us who you are, how much you love us, and how much you want and have for us. And it's in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Y'all, this is a weird time of year. January the 1st, 2023. That doesn't even feel real. It feels like it should still be 2019. I don't feel like 2023 is a real number, but it is. And the new year is always kind of weird and quirky, let's say. If you do it like our family, or if you want to be right for the last couple months, you maybe started getting ready for Christmas on or around November the 1st, right after Halloween. And maybe you take a four-hour break for the Thanksgiving parade and watch some football and eat some turkey, but then it's right back to Christmas preparations. And everything builds up and leads up to December the 25th. Whether you travel for family or stay here, whether you meet up with friends or family or whatever you do, that season is jam-packed. Busy, 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 all the way up to and through Christmas Day. And then all of a sudden, radio silence. Nothing. The weirdest week of the year is December 26th through December 31st because it's simultaneously time stands still and flies by. There's both nothing to do and everything to do. And then all of a sudden, we find ourselves here in the new year. And, And I don't know how your 2022 went. I don't know if it was the greatest year that had ever happened, or you just kind of got through it, or you're just glad it's in the rear view mirror, and you're ready for what 2023 has. I think no matter what your 2022 was, we're all asking the same question today. We're all asking, okay, now what? Now what, how do I make 2023 better 
than whatever 2022 was? How do I make it better? What do I need to start or what do I need to stop that I did or didn't do in 2022? And the first place a lot of us turn to for that is, of course, New Year's resolutions. How many of y'all have a New Year's resolution? Anybody? I know it's, it feels like it's somewhat of a dying trend, but I'll be honest, I have a New Year's resolution. I'm gonna say it out loud so that I'm accountable to it for the next 365 days to everyone in here. I'm gonna get yoked this year. <laughs> I, I am. This is my year. I don't know. If anyone's working on a Captain America serum, I'll take it. Otherwise, you can find me in the gym, but this is my year to get yoked. It just is. I believe in the power of a resolution. I do. There's value in starting things and stopping things to make the year new, to make it different. But I think a lot of times when we focus so much on new or change that this time of year brings, and with good reason, something gets kind of tossed to the side or put on the wayside or even completely overlooked, and that is that there is strength in stubbornness. There is value in stubbornness in not letting go. There is strength in stubbornness. Now, is it selfish of me to call stubbornness a value? Absolutely yes. My mother has been saying from the day I was born that I'm a quiet stubborn. Because when I dig my heels in, I mean, I plant roots and you will not change my mind. I'll smile and nod with you and be polite about it, but behind my eyes, I'm trying to figure out a way to make sure I'm right. Let's not get that twisted. Now, my sister, her stubbornness is equal, but a little more overt, which made for some interesting back and forths growing up, to say the least. But no matter what we disagree on, we agree stubbornness gets a bad rap. Stubbornness gets a bad rap because it can be a good thing to be stubborn. In fact, I'd even argue with you this morning that it can be biblical to be stubborn. Look at what the Bible says in Galatians 6.9. It says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good at just the right time we will reap a harvest of blessing if we what? If we don't give up. Don't give up. That's basically saying we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we be stubborn. That's all that is. Now, let me be very clear. Discerning and deciding how and what to be stubborn about, crucial. And the lesson I've learned the hard way on more than one occasion. But when you do decide the right way and the right things to be stubborn about, this amazing things happens. When you dig your heels in about the right things, the world around you looks at it and all of a sudden, what they called stubbornness, they now see as discipline. But let's be honest, it's not fun on January 1st to learn how to be disciplined, so instead we're gonna talk about how to be spiritually stubborn because that's just a more fun way to look at it even though they're essentially the same thing. So we're gonna talk about how to be spiritually stubborn, stubborn about the right things, to not get tired of doing what is good. Now, if you're sitting there and you're like, that's great, Joe, but why? Well, what does it matter? What is it 
to me to be stubborn about the right things? What am I gonna get out of it? Fair question. Thankfully, we don't have to do a lot of theological extrapolating or hermeneutics interpretations. All we have to do is look at the second sentence of that verse. It lays it out right there in Galatians 6, 9, to reap a harvest of blessing. Like I said, I have no idea what your 2022 was. But I think we could all use a harvest of blessing in 2023. It doesn't say a kernel of blessing. It doesn't even say a bushel of blessing. And that would have been alliterative. So you know it's intentional to overpass that and go straight to a harvest of blessing. That's the why. So then the next question becomes, how do we determine what is good? How do we determine what's worth keeping going, what's worth sticking with? And there are a couple filters I think we can use for this. The first one is, does it provide life? Is it life-giving to you or to those around you? Whether that's physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, whatever. Does it provide life? Now, when we talk about work worth doing, my nerd ears prick up and I'm immediately back to my junior year of high school sitting in physics taught by Nancy Massage, who was, by the way, the best physics teacher there ever was because this is a formula I haven't looked at in years and years and years, but I remember it when we talk about work. So before we get into it, how many of us in here are math science people? How many like enjoy numbers Okay, how many are more English social studies, are readers and writers? Okay, readers and writers, go with us. We'll get to y'all in a second. But for you math people, we're gonna put a formula on the screen. And the formula is for work because you actually can calculate how much work it takes to do something. You can calculate how much work you've done on something. And that formula is gonna be on the screen. It's work equals force times distance. Work equals force times distance. So what you do is you take your force, whether it's pushing or pulling, and you multiply it by however far it went. So if I push a football, then I just have to multiply how much force it took by how far I pushed or threw it, and that's how much work was done. But by the same token, if I go outside and push and push and push on this building for hours and hours and hours, and I exert, I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of newtons of force, and I'm just pushing and pushing, but it goes nowhere, then I did zero work. And I tell you that to tell you, busyness and work are not the same thing. Just because you're exerting a lot of force does not mean you're doing the right work because if it's not providing anything, if it's not adding life, if it's not going anywhere, scientifically speaking, you've done no work. So what value does it add? What life does it provide? Second question to filter through what work is right, worth doing is, is it self-indulgent? It, are you just doing it because it feels good for a little while, but it, it doesn't actually add anything in the long term? Now, I'm not saying to never eat an entire pizza in one sitting. Toss pizza right down the road. They're brisket pizza. 
I will eat an entire one by myself in one sitting and have no regrets. But when we talk about habits that we wanna build, when we talk about principles that we wanna instill in our life, those things need to be the exception rather than the rule. So you don't need to completely eliminate them, but it's just worth asking, is it self-indulgent? And after filtering through and deciding what to actually be stubborn about, now we have to know how. Well, once we know what to be stubborn about, we have to know how to be stubborn because digging your heels in is only half the battle if you don't know how to actually go anywhere with it. So if we turn to the Bible to see an example of someone who dug his heels in about the right thing, we don't need to look any further than the book of Nehemiah, the Old Testament prophet. Now, Nehemiah was a prophet at an interesting time in the saga of God's people, the Israelites. Nehemiah lived and existed after the Israelites and Jewish people had been exiled from Jerusalem by Babylon, about 150 years after some people started to move back into the city, but Nehemiah was still serving as the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes of Persia. And when he was serving as the cupbearer, some people came back to him from the city and told him that the walls were still down and the gates had been burned by fire. And back in those days, the city walls were not just for aesthetic, but they were actually the identity of the city. They told the outside world what the city was about and that they could exist on their own and could defend themselves. And so in Nehemiah 1.4, we immediately see his reaction. He says, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. So right off the bat, we see how Nehemiah decides to start the work. The way Nehemiah starts the work is simply invite God. I invite God into your decision making, into your process, and even into the work itself. If there's any work to be done, and let's be sure there is, it's to be done hand in hand, side by side, with the God that created you and knows you best and loves you and wants what's best for you. So invite God in. Nehemiah knew this and immediately he said, God, I need help processing these emotions. I need help processing what I'm going through, but also, God, I need your help in doing what's next. God, I need your help in figuring this out together. So Nehemiah prayed to God and asked for favor among the king to go to Jerusalem, and the king allowed it, and even signed off some documents for Nehemiah's travels to be easy and any obstacles in his way to be put to the wayside. And then when Nehemiah got back to Jerusalem, he started examining the walls to see what needed to be done. And the next day, and in fact, the entire chapter three of the book of Nehemiah he starts putting people to work. Nehemiah starts putting people to work. Because Nehemiah knew another thing about a work that needs to get done. And that was that he needed to bring people. He needed to bring people along for the ride because he couldn't do this by himself. A work that's worth doing and a work that's worth digging your heels in is gonna be a lot easier if other people are along for the ride with you. 
have y'all ever done Whole30? Y'all know, y'all know what it is at least? Who's, okay, has anyone ever done it completely by themselves with no one else doing it with them? Anyone? I, you ha- I'm so impressed. That's incredible if you have. I tried it one time to do it by myself. I made it all the way to Whole3. And then I drove past a Whataburger. And it, it did not make it to Whole4. Um, Cause I was by myself. But then when we did it as a family a couple years ago, there was no fried food in the house. We weren't going to Chick-fil-A for every two out of three meals. <laughs> I was actually able to get it done because there were people around me. I was surrounded by people who not only wanted the same thing, but were in it with me. Were in the trenches of Whole30 with me. Bring people along. I was a pillar of self-discipline for 30 days, as long as I wasn't a pillar by myself. And I don't think I'm the only one. I don't think I'm the only one that it's easier when there are other people with you. Now, since we had the formula scientifically speaking earlier, I feel like we shouldn't leave out the readers and the writers in the room. So we're also gonna go to English class for just a brief second and we're gonna look back at Galatians 6, 9, but this time I want you to help me by reading out the bold and underlined words. So let's go ahead and throw up, all right, here we go. Y'all ready? And I teach LHC kids every week and I expect full participation. I will stop and start over. I am not afraid to do that. So, let's go ahead and get started. So, y'all, that was so good. Wow, all right, here we, now only up from here. Let's not get tired of doing what is good at just the right time. We will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Notice the language there. Let's, we, we. That's together. That's everybody. It's inclusive. It's, it's not you do this. Don't give up. You keep going. It's we. It's an invitation, if anything else. And that's exactly how we're supposed to operate. And there will, be, there will come a time when you're grateful you've got people around you. Whether or not it gets hard or if it's a work worth doing, it'll also face some opposition. It will face some opposition, so we need to expect opposition. Nehemiah expected and faced opposition. In Nehemiah chapter four, verses seven through nine, as they're building the wall, it says, but when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs, Ammonites and Ashdodites heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. But we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. And then later it goes on to say, we carried our weapons with all times, even to go get water. So Nehemiah expected opposition. And because he expected it, he was able to prepare for it. 
Because it will come, there will come a time if you're doing something and you're digging your heels and you're doing it the right way, that opposition will come. But let me also be very clear. Just because opposition comes does not necessarily mean that it is the right thing. There might be some things that opposition is actually in the right about, but if you are doing the right thing, opposition will come. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes 4.12, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two stand back to back and conquer, three or even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Nehemiah knew there was gonna be opposition to his mission, so he prepared not only himself, but the people around him. And he knew it because he was on the same page with God, so that invite God, bring people, expect opposition are three incredible tools and incredible ways to dig your heels in and be spiritually stubborn the right way. When those things come together, it's a recipe for success because it, it helps you build a discerning heart. It helps build that muscle of discipline or spiritual stubbornness. And it eventually radiates out into other aspects of your lives that you didn't even know could be affected in such a way, but ends up helping significantly. And if we look at what happens after Nehemiah and the people finish building the wall, the response from the cities around him are incredible. Because the Bible tells us that the cities around them realized this work had been done with the help of our God. And at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. The work that we're doing, the work that's worth doing, the things that are worth being stubborn about, it's not for self-gain, it's not to make our name great, but it's to help everyone realize the glory of God. It's to help everyone realize, everyone around you that doesn't yet know how much God loves them, to help them understand that the God of the universe, the God that created them and knows them better than they can know themselves, loves them. My personal life verse, my favorite verse in the Bible is Matthew chapter five, verse 16. And it says, it's Jesus talking on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And that's what we're called to do as the church, to let our light shine, let our love shine. Let the things we do be life-giving. Let the things we do provide energy, love, hope, joy, so that other people look at us and say, oh, look at what they're doing. But it's so that other people look at us and they say, oh, that's the character of God. That's what God is all about. There are a lot of people in the world that have misconceptions or misconstrued expectations of who God is, how much God truly loves them and we're not called to convert them we're just called to communicate just communicate 
how much God loves them. And we do it by being spiritually stubborn, by digging our heels in and saying, no, this is how I'm gonna live my life. And I'm gonna do it because I don't have to do it alone. I'm gonna do it because it's the right way because I know that my God knows what's best. And if you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, Joe, I I haven't taken that first step. I haven't invited God in. One, I just wanna say I'm thrilled that you're here. That's why we exist as a church. That's why I get out of bed in the morning. That's why Pastor Mac and Julie lead the way that they do is a heart to grow the community of Christ one life at a time because everything we do, everything we're about should be pointing people to the one that they need to know so much more than they need to know us, and that's Christ. And so if you're sitting here today and you wanna make that decision, you wanna say, today's my day that I invite God in for the first time, I just wanna give you that opportunity. It's really, really simple, it doesn't take